Welcome to the RSM podcast, Just Preaching Program, where we highlight sermons from preachers previously interviewed on our Frontline Servants program. However, our first two programs in this series will be exceptions to that rule. We'll be hearing sermons from six young men that we hope to interview someday in the future. These young men, ages 13 to 17, all attended the 2013 Enduring Light Preaching Camp sponsored by the Atlas Uriah Fund and held at Mid-South Christian College in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information about Mid-South Christian College, visit their website at midsouthchristian.edu. For more information about the Atlas Uriah Fund and or the Enduring Light Preaching Camp, visit theatlasuriahfund.org. And for more information about our free revival ministry or to explore more of our audio and video recordings, visit our website at rocksolidministries.org. Again, rocksolidministries.org. Now, these six young men spent three days in intense Bible study learning the basics of sermon prep and delivery. Then on their final night of camp, they presented their sermons before a full house at Christview Christian Church in South Haven, Mississippi. On this podcast, you'll be hearing sermons from the first three preachers in the order they were delivered, and you will hear the last three messages on our next program. Enjoy these Bible-based sermons from Devon, age 14, Toby, age 15, and Aiden, age 14. Good afternoon. I'm the first one up to preach today, and I guess you could call it a sermon series on Philippians. My name is Devin. I reside in Water Valley. Let me ask you a question. Do you know those people that say they are Christians, but when they face trouble, they get mad, they get mad at God, and they don't stand up for him? In doing that, there are consequences. But if you do stand up, there are also rewards in doing so. An example is in Philippians. So if you have your Bibles, flip with me to 1 Philippians 28 through 30. Do not be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved even by God himself. For, for you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. We are in this struggle together, and you have been in my struggle in the past, and you know that I still am in the midst of it. This scripture talks about if you will stand up for Christ, that is a sign that you will be saved by Christ. John 16.30 says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. As it as it's said in the verse, you will have trouble, as mentioned in Philippians 1.30. Just in case, I'm going to reread it. We are in this struggle together. You have seen my struggle in the past, and you know that I still am in the midst of it. We've heard about God's struggles. If you haven't, I recommend that you go look at some scriptures that talk about it. But if you're too lazy, then you can trust what Jesus says. But that would be a whole different sermon for later on. 
you will have trouble in your life that can't be avoided, even if you are a superstitious person. I know plenty of times that me and my friends have tried to avoid something bad, but it still happens no matter how, how hard we try to avoid it. Like if we were riding our bikes and we took a different trail because we think it's safer, but we soon found out it wasn't, and someone ended up flipping, and yes, he is okay. That shows that even if you are doing the safest thing, it still can lead to bad things. But, is it import but it's important that you stand firm in your faith, not like standing up and planting your feet, in feet into the ground like a post. Like it said in the first part of John that I read a minute ago, Jesus is telling you this so that you can have peace and live in him. Instead of looking at the verse I used, I'm going to look around it. And in verse 27, it says, Above all, my bad, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and I see you or I am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side to side for the faith of the gospel. It says that you must stand firm in one spirit as one with the Holy Spirit and striving side to side. This means you are willing to go through the worst things like being tempted to the devil, by the devil, like Jesus was back in Matthew. Again, that's a whole other sermon for later. That, but actually, me and Aiden talked about that. You can, go back and you, you can go back and watch it on my church's app. But also, the best things for your faith of the gospel, and that's hard. Now I told you how to be firm in your spirit. Now you probably want me to, you probably want to know what happens when you don't do what you're told unless you're a teen like me, Aiden, or Alex, there's a good chance that you will stand firm. So if you have turned away from it, I will give you a minute to get back to it. But in verse 28, it says, don't, don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they are gonna be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved even by God himself. It says that this will be a sign that they are going to get destroyed. Now, I know what you may be thinking, not like a 1v1 in football where the wide receiver gets destroyed by the DB. But I don't think getting destroyed sounds too pleasant. When I hear the word destroy, I think about the time when I would mess something up of my brother's and he gets mad and starts running at me, yelling that he's going to destroy something very valuable to me for payback. So there will be extreme consequences if you don't stand. But I don't want to focus too much on the consequences, I wanna focus more on the prizes and rewards for standing in your faith. So I've already told you why. We could, we, could we really stand up for our faith? I bet some of you, I bet some of you are saying, oh yeah, but realistically we can't fully live up to that faith. In Romans 3, 23 through 24, it says, for everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standards. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. So we can't fully live up to these expectations, but God through Christ Jesus, he freed us from the penalty of our sins. But for us to be freed, we have to accept God. In Acts 2.38, it says, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So for you to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, 
and to be able to stand up for Christ, you need to be repent. You need to repent and be baptized. I want to challenge you today to think about receiving that gift as the others are preaching. And I hope that their messages touch your heart and push you to make that decision for the Holy Spirit unless you've already accepted it so that you can stand firm in your faith so you don't get destroyed and you can be saved by Christ. My name is Toby Strickland. I'm from Washington, Missouri. And today we're going to be looking at Philippians 2, 1 and 2. Has anyone heard the term divide and conquer? This is a popular military strategy where an army tries to make the other uh, side get into smaller groups so that, whenever, so that their bigger army can get them while they're in a smaller group. See, in the army, everyone needs to be together. They need to be a strong, unified group. Uh, if the army is in a larger group, they're going to be stronger. And the enemy is not going to be able to be able to push through it. They're not going to be able to defeat them. This is the same way Paul challenges the church. In Philippians 2, 1 and 2, it says, Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? They make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. What Paul is getting at here is that there needs to be partnership and there needs to be unity in the church. Because if, if not, then you're not going to be able to have the encouragement, have the comfort, and have the fellowship that you need. If not, there's going to be a missing piece. You will never be able to fully function as a church and as a congregation without it. As verse 2 says, make me truly happy. Other versions say, make my joy complete. So the question is, how do you make this puzzle fit together? How do you make this complete? The answer is in the text. We need to be unified and have partnership in the church. And Paul tells us three benefits of having partnership in the church. First, partnership brings agreement. Looking back to verse 2, it says, They make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly. Have you ever met a person you just never agreed with? Every time you see them, you fight, argue, you just never seem to agree on anything. Well, me and my older brother just argue about everything, right? One specific time comes to mind when me and my brother are arguing about what to eat. We were given the option, we were good to choose, and I immediately said, Colton's, right? My brother said Applebee's, and it was just back and forth, back and forth. Colton's, Applebee's, Colton's, Applebee's, Colton's, Applebee's. We got McDonald's. <laughs> And see, it didn't, it didn't matter. This is the same way it is with arguing the church. Shouldn't we strive to agree with what Christ is saying? We can't pick sides or argue meaningless arguments with our fellow church members. We need to quit thinking about what other people think and make sure you're aligned with what Christ thinks. If two people are arguing the church, that means at least one of them is not aligned with what Christ says in the Bible. Because if both are aligned with Christ, then they would, be, they would be agreeing. There would be no argument. But with the partnership in the church, but if there's partnership in the church, then the whole congregation will be aligned together. But agreement is the only thing partnership brings. Partnership brings love. It says in verse 2, loving one another. When you have a best friend that you've had for a long time, and you're in a lot of things, and you do everything together. You help each other through the hard times. You help each other through the good times. You start to invest in that person. You want the best for that person. You form a love for that person. This is the same as in the church. Shouldn't we want what's best for each other? Shouldn't we rejoice when good things happen for them? 1 Corinthians 12 talks about how there are different parts in the church and how all of them need to work together in the church if they want to survive. Verse 26 says, If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. If one part is honored, all the parts are glad. 
This is how the church is to be. If someone is happy, be happy with them. If someone is going through a hard time, work it out with them. We need to have love with, uh, to, with each other and connect with other people in the congregation. If the congregation is ever going to grow and ever going to inform people how to gain salvation and gain immortal life with our Heavenly Father, because that's the most important thing you can do in this mortal lifetime. So now we know that partnership brings agreement, partnership brings love. But there's one more thing that Paul tells us about partnership. Partnership brings purpose. Have you ever, have you ever watched the Summer Olympics? You ever notice how when it's time for the swimmers to start their event, the camera, it pans to a lifeguard? Can you think of a less purposeful job than a lifeguard at a professional swimming event? <laughs> In verse 2 it says, They make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. See, the verse, says that, the verse shows that this is the exact opposite of what Paul's saying. And, Having a partnership in the gospel gives you a common purpose in the congregation. The purpose is sharing the good news of G that Jesus Christ died for our sins and that he has been raised from the dead so that we may have salvation and eternal life with him in heaven. So today, we've learned that partnership brings you agreement, love, and purpose. If you need an example of what these benefits look like, there's one person in the world who is able to model this perfectly, Jesus Christ. Jesus shows us and Jesus shows love constantly in the Bible. He loves the, he loves the elderly. He loves the children. He loves the slaves. He loves the free. He loves the Jews. He loves the Gentiles. He, Jesus loves us sinners. We reject him. He still loves us. We honor him. He loves us. Jesus shows us purpose and what to do in Matthew 28 when he says, um, therefore go and make disciples all in, of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Jesus gives us purpose in the church to make new believers, to baptize the unbelievers, for them to baptize more unbelievers, right? They, it's, if we don't have these agreements, this love and this purpose, not only we will not be united in the church, we will also not be united with our Lord Jesus Christ. But I've got good news for you. There are things that we can do to be united in Christ. Maybe if you're an immersed believer and you feel the Holy Spirit convicting you, while you are a member of God's church, maybe you need to join the fellowship at this church so that you will have a unified church that leads each other to being unified in Christ. Maybe if you're a believer and you know that you aren't being as unified in the church as you need to be, or maybe you're causing division in the church, we invite you later to come up when we have our invitation song to pray for, and we will pray with you for repentance. Maybe you've been coming to church and you're ready to commit to spending your life with, for Christ and be united with Christ. Um, because you see, believe that he is the son of God and he is the only way to salvation. Maybe once you believe, you want to repent of your sins and tell God that you're sincerely sorry for sinning against him and you want to turn your life around. And you, can, and you admit that you can only turn your sin away from him, since turn sin away from your sin if you have him in your life and the Holy Spirit in your heart. Maybe you believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God and you haven't made it known publicly. Maybe you should step forward today to an invitation song and say you are publicly committing to, um, that you believe in Jesus Christ. Maybe you've done these things and you need to do that last step toward being united in Christ. Maybe you feel the urge and the Holy Spirit convicting you, you to be immersed in the water and be baptized. If you want to be truly united with Christ, Jesus Christ, then you need to, make, need to make a decision and you need to commit yourself to these things. But brothers and sisters, doing these things alone or only a couple of these things isn't going to give you salvation. There's one more step. You can't be baptized on Sunday 
and live faithfully on Sunday, but the moment you walk out those doors, immediately go back to the worldly things and the things of the earth. You need to live faithfully and not just do these actions for the sake of doing the actions. So tonight, if you're feeling convicted by the Holy Spirit to be baptized, we will have time later tonight when you have an opportunity to come up and pray with us. If you need to repent, you'll have a time to come up and pray with us. If you need anything, you have a time to come up and pray with us. You can talk to me, or Brother Greg, Nathan, or Evan, or any of the other preachers, and we can help you with that. I don't want you to walk out those doors without making a conscious decision, because only in these ways we can gain a salvation with our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that you may convict these people, and they will feel in their hearts to make a decision in their mind right now, and you will make it clear what is needed for them to be saved. I pray that I pray that those who know you will continue to be unified in the church and that they may lead others to their salvation. I pray that those who haven't made this decision will be convicted to make that decision. Because um, let me tell you, that's the best decision they will ever make. I pray this in your name. Amen. I'm Aiden. I'm from Water Valley, Mississippi. And I go to Water Valley First Christian Church. And if you want to join me, I'm going to be in Philippians 2, 3 through 8. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Have you ever wondered what being humble means, or how do I be humble? If you have, I will cover that in the sermon, so just wait with me and I'll cover it all. And one way to know how to be humble is to know how not to be humble, and that's what I'm going to go over first. When I read this passage earlier, I listed a couple ways people are selfish. One of those ways was thinking you're more significant than the person next to you. Maybe your family has a high status, or you have a lot of money, you have a bigger house than the person, you have a better car. There's a bunch of other ways you can do this, but another way is maybe you've been going to a church for a long time, and you think you should have a better opinion than the person who walked in Sunday. But that's not true. Everyone should have an equal opinion in the church. And that isn't all the ways you can be selfish. There's a lot more. But I think we all want to get out of here tonight eventually. And there's still more after me, so I'll stop it with those three. But that's not the only way it covered in this passage. In verse 4, it says, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So this says that we do not look at our own interests. And one way I think about that is I'm a sports person, so I'm going to use a sports illustration here because that's what I know. And for that, I'm going to do, let's say I have a baseball game. We'll say it's on a Wednesday night, okay? And it, what does it interfere with? It interferes with church. Maybe my baseball game's on a Friday night or a Saturday night, and I have a family gathering. If I choose a baseball game over any of these, I'm choosing my own interests over God's interests and even my family's interests. So... We have to think about these things before we make the decision. Whose interests am I following? 
And like I said earlier, there are a lot of other ways to be selfish. And again, that would be a long night if I had to name them all. But if you fall into selfishness, and I'm going to read a verse that says what will happen if you are selfish. Flip with me to James 3, 14 through 16. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is the earthly, unspiritual, demonic. From where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. So if we are selfish, it is not from above. We are not following what God wants us to do. We are following what the world wants us to do. We live in the world. And it says... That is demonic. And I think, well, I know we all don't want to be demonic at all because we want to follow the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But if you do, you will go into the world and your sins will just keep piling and piling and piling up. And then you're going to be so deep in a hole that you're going to have to find a lot of people to help you out of it. But it also says, while we do this, we will commit every vile practice. And... I don't think we want to do that, and there's a lot of other ways to do it. So, now that I've told you how not to be humble, let me tell you how to be humble. One way to be humble is to put yourself under others. Put others' interests in front of you. Let other people do what they want to do or what they don't want to do. Maybe let someone else choose where you go for dinner tonight. Let someone else choose the game you play. But, again, I'm going to do a baseball reference here. And let's say your team just won 20 to 1. You know, a complete blowout. This game was over in the first inning. No shot. You can be humble and go by and shake everyone's hand and say, good game, good game, good game. Or you can walk by and being, our team's better than yours. You're bad at this. And you can, you, you can just go on and keep saying and saying. And that is not humble. You're boasting and being selfish. And there's also other ways to be humble, like serving someone. And the first thing I think about when I say serving someone is helping an elderly person, like Nate. <laughs> like it can be these simple five-minute things that could help them so much, and it's maybe just helping them cross the street, putting up their groceries, or maybe even just talking to them. That can do a lot. And who cares if it takes more than five minutes, right? You're helping someone who is in need. Who really cares? And, and there's also more ways to be humble. Like I said with selfishness, there's a lot. We'd be here for a long time. And there's also a reward for being humble. And we will go to uh, 1 Peter 5, 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. This says that if we humble ourselves under God, he will exalt us. And that is a lot, right? We want to be exalted by God, and we want to be with God. But if we're selfish, we won't be with God. We'll be in the demonic practice or vile practices, but we want to be with God. 
Now, let's look at the best example of someone being humble, and that is Jesus. And if you ever want to know how to be humble, just look at the different examples Jesus set. One way Jesus was humble was being obedient. And the best example I could think of for this is going to Mark 14, 35 and 36. And, go, and it says, And going a little farther, he, he, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what your will. So, just like everyone else, we don't want to die, right? Jesus did not want to die. He wanted God to take the cup away from him. But what did he say? That's not all he said. He said, yet not my will, but your will. Amen. So we see here, Jesus humbled himself under God. Jesus was obedient to God. He said, not my will, but your will. So he's saying right here that whatever God have him do, that he will do it. And Jesus also humbled himself by becoming a servant. At one of the Passover feasts that he had with disciples, what did he do? He washed their feet. Jesus, the one with the most power in the world, washed the disciples' feet. This is a really good example about how Jesus was being a servant. And from those two examples, we can see Jesus was really humble. And we want to strive to be like Jesus, humble. And Jesus was also rewarded for being humble. I'm going to go back to Philippians 2.9 and read it. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So because Jesus was humble, God highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name above all names. Not just a few names, not just one name. All names. And so we see, if you are humble, you get rewarded. But if you're selfish, you don't get rewarded. You actually get put in hell. And so how Jesus set an example for us, we need to set an example for others. And Jesus also set many other examples, like how to repent and be baptized. Now, if you never had the chance to follow Jesus' example, you can come forward later tonight. One way to follow Jesus' example is getting baptized and by immersion, and you can come forward later tonight for that too. Now, if you have been baptized, let's go out and humble ourselves as servants, putting others before ourselves. Amen. Let's pray. Dear God, I just want to say thank you for this day, and that we're all here tonight, and that us six boys get a chance to preach in front of people and learn to read your word better and just do what you have us do, and that you'll help all of us be humble throughout the rest of the week and for the rest of our lives, and that you sent Jesus to this earth to die on the cross for our sins, and just that you'll be with us the rest of our week, and that we'll be humble the rest of the week. Amen. I think you'll agree these young men did an amazing job. Be sure to join us for our next podcast when you will hear from Jay, Luke, and Alex. Until then, this is Evangelist Tom Weaver saying goodbye. 
and may God pour down His blessing on you like a Mississippi rain.